Father God, you are a God um, who would be unknowable were it not for you to make yourself known. Thank you that you have uh, through um, your scriptures given to your, um, your prophets and apostles. Thank you that we can have them, we can study them, and by your spirit you, um, you speak to the depths of our being through them and you accomplish great things for your glory. Um, so we pray that today you would soften our hearts by your spirit that we might uh, receive what you have for us. And we pray that you would continue your transforming work in our hearts and our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law saw where of who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Well, what a passage. A great uh, little snapshot in Mark's gospel that we're looking at this morning, looking at two scenes uh, from chapter two. Last week, we kicked off this series in Mark's gospel uh, by looking at the way in which Mark introduces this idea of Jesus coming and, uh, and proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, and, uh, and John the Baptist was there and the, the prophets were in there, this great message, this great announcement that God was doing something central to his plans for the whole of history, for the whole of hum the human race. Uh, and uh, we get to this little passage in chapter two. It's a really important one. And right at the heart of it is the idea of forgiveness. Now, the, the writer C.S. Lewis wrote that uh, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Uh, that's a very um, perceptive little comment, isn't it? 
Uh, we love the idea of forgiveness. Uh, it's one thing to forgive someone for accidentally offending you and maybe saying an unkind word when they got, the, got out of the wrong side of the bed. Um, you, know, you can sort of see all the reasons why. It's another thing entirely uh, to forgive someone when they do something inexcusable, something cruel, uh, something that perhaps has left lasting scars. At that moment, forgiveness not, becomes not just a nice idea, but uh, actually, for many people, an outrageous one. Well, it's a big thing, forgiveness. It's a really important thing. It's right at the heart of uh, so much, and it's at the heart of this passage. But um, the issue of forgiveness here, it is at the heart of this little passage, but the forgiveness here isn't actually about how we forgive someone else. The forgiveness that's on view here is the forgiveness that we need, not the forgiveness that we give, the forgiveness that we need. So let's dive in, friends. Uh, It's a well-known story if you've been around churches a little while. Um, If not, um, it's a great opportunity to hear this fresh, but for all of us, actually, try and hear this story in a fresh way today. Uh, As I said, we left off last week with Jesus announcing this good news, this great announcement that the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, He calls people to repent, to turn away from their sins and to believe this good news, to believe this great announcement. Uh, And the rest of chapter 1, if you read through, and actually um, if you have the home group booklet, you'll see in there a reading guide. You can start that this week and so you'll get to read through this in chapter 1 this week. I really encourage you to do that as many of us do then we can sort of be on the same page reading through Mark's gospel this term. Uh, but rest of, through the rest of chapter 1, it's really action-packed after the passage we looked at last week. Uh, it's with action-packed. It shows Jesus' authority. He calls disciples with a word. He just says, follow me, and they leave their jobs and their, their father, and they follow him. Uh, he casts out evil spirits. He heals all these people's um, uh, sicknesses. And there's this expectation building through chapter 1 of Jesus as someone who can do amazing things. Uh, and you, you see by the end of the chapter, the crowds um, clue onto this and they start to gather wherever he goes. Uh, it'll be up on the screen, chapter 1, verse 45, at, right at the end of the chapter. As a result, Jesus could, uh, he's just healed um, someone with a terrible um, uh, disease, leprosy. Uh, he's healed him and a, as a result of that and all these other things he's doing, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Uh, he's, he's kind of getting swamped wherever he goes, so he needs to, uh, he's staying outside in lonely places. And yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. Uh, so he can't go into town because he's getting swamped. He goes out to a lonely place, and even there, the crowds are coming to him. Well, we, that, that sort of leads us into chapter 2, and we read there that Jesus enters uh, this town called Capernaum. Uh, it's a town on the Sea of Galilee. There's a map on the screen there. Uh, just to orient you, this is real things that happened in real places with real names. Um, uh, he, he enters this town called Capernaum. Um, there, oh, there should be a... Oh, there's not... Oh, sorry. I didn't sync the computer. That's all right. Uh, that's my fault. Uh, uh, Jesus enters this town called Capernaum. Uh, it's on the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of in the northern region of, uh, of the uh, country of Israel. Uh, the region that Jesus grew up in. And you can imagine Jesus trying to quickly slip into the town. 
uh, quietly slip into the town, rather. Yeah, so he's sort of on his own. He's trying to get away from the crowds in a way. He's, he quietly slips into the town. You can, uh, this isn't in the text, but, um, so it may not be the case, but I can imagine him quietly slipping in, entering the back door of this house he's staying in. Uh, possibly his mother, uh, Simon's mother-in-law, his disciple Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, he was there earlier in chapter 1. Uh, he travelled around a bit, now he's come back. It's possibly that house quietly closes the door and sort of relaxes and says, phew, uh, but no, he's been spotted. He's been spotted, and in verse 2, a massive crowd gathers. Uh, you see that there's so many people gathering that they're sort of just crushing in and spilling out onto the street. It's so packed that, you know, you can't, there's no room to move, there's um, it's everyone's uh, sort of frantically trying to get in, get close to Jesus. And it seems like, as you read through this account, it seems like what's attracting the crowds is Jesus' miracles. Uh, he's been able to do these amazing things to people around, uh, to the people he's met. Word has got out. He can heal all sorts of diseases. He can free people from spiritual oppression. And you could understand this crowd, can't you, wanting to come? Uh, if with a word this man could take away your chronic health condition. Wow. Uh, if with a word this man could heal your desperately ill child. Um, I can totally understand that. So you can understand this crowd really wanting to get near to Jesus. Uh, the expectation is high. There's this needy crowd coming. And I wonder what you would expect Jesus to do. If it was me, I'd probably try and slip away <laughs> quietly about the back door and run off, you know. Uh, uh, Jesus doesn't do that. Yeah. You, might expect, you might expect Jesus to get down to business and say, okay, roll up his sleeves and start healing people. He is able to do that. But you see what Jesus does? He doesn't actually do either of those things. Verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers... That there was no room left, not even outside the door, so they're spilling out onto the street. And he preached the word to them. That's a surprising sort of thing, isn't it? You don't quite expect that. They're there for a healing, they get a sermon. You know, oh, what's going on? Um, I think what's going on is Jesus is resisting the pressure to be sort of typecast as a miracle worker. He's saying... I know that you think what you need most of all is to be healed, to be free from your affliction. He's saying, I know that. But I also know that that's not, your, that's not actually your real deepest need. There is something far more important, actually, far more wonderful for you. Even than that far more lasting than that. Uh, back in chapter 1, if you have your Bibles open, you can flick your eyes back there, but uh, back in chapter 1, there's this key scene where Jesus retreats from the crowds, goes to a solitary place. His disciples go looking for him and they ask him, what's going on? Where are you? There's all these people. Come, come back and get, to, get busy healing. Uh, and Jesus says in 1 verse 38, he says, no, no, I'm not going to go back to the crowds who want want me there let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so i can preach there also that is why i have come jesus says 
he's come to preach, to proclaim this message that he has, this message of the kingdom of God having come near, uh, this message of calling people to repentance and faith. Uh, he's come to proclaim the good news that God was fulfilling his great plan of salvation, that he was establishing his eternal kingdom. Uh, Jesus' mighty works in Mark's gospel I like signposts pointing us to this big new thing that's happening. Uh, you get that through the Bible's story at these key moments of God's salvation, this intense clustering of incredible, miraculous events. God's saying, listen up, something big is happening here. Uh, but the miracles themselves aren't the main game. They're signposts pointing to the main game, and Jesus doesn't want to be... He doesn't want people to be so distracted by the signs that they f don't follow where they're pointing, uh, that they don't follow their direction to him and his message of the kingdom that he is bringing in. So, uh, the scene is set. Jesus, this, these crowds are here. He does this really surprising thing. He starts... Uh, preaching to them, teaching them, proclaiming this news. Uh, but suddenly Jesus' sermon gets interrupted in a big way. It's not every day that sermons get interrupted by people trying to clamour into, um, into the place where the preacher is. Uh, but that's what happens here. And in a really sort of, in a really um, off-putting way, right? A really off-putting way. Uh, imagine you're in the house. You're kind of squashed like sardines. You're expecting something. You're hoping to see a miracle. But you're hearing this wandering prophet speaking about the kingdom of God, and you, you think, well, you're kind of getting it a little bit, but still lots that's confusing to you about what he's saying. You're not quite sure what to make of it all, but you don't have that long to think about it because this sort of stream of dust starts falling on your head. Can you imagine it? Uh, and followed by maybe a few pebbles, uh, a few clumps, and then you know, this clump of clay starts falling down. Uh, before too long, you see this crack in the roof and a hand pops down on, through the crack. It gets bigger and bigger, it widens to this hole, and gets, it just keeps getting pulled away, and at this point, you, you know, the whole crowd inside is just covered in dust and clay. Um, but then the real surprise happens. This man gets let down through this hole on a stretcher, a, a mat, probably sort of uh, with ropes on each corner, let down through this hole by these four guys on the roof. Uh, and somehow, even in this sort of sardine-packed, squashed room, somehow they make more room, and this guy gets lowered down to Jesus' feet, this paralysed man. He's a paralysed man. He's someone who is actually, he, he, he feels sort of defined by this um, crippling disability that he has. In that society, he, he's someone with a real, genuine, immediate critical need uh, in that society they didn't have a government safety net they didn't have the medical interventions that we have today he couldn't earn a wage uh, a paralyzed man would have been facing a life of poverty and begging reduced to begging people just to survive uh, but this guy did have friends. Do you see that as you read along? He does have these mates who pick him up and they're in their desperate. They've heard about Jesus. They're so desperate. They can't get into the house because the crowd's spilling out onto the streets. And so 
they clamber up onto the roof. It's probably a, a flat roof. Uh, houses uh, in those days would have been had a flat roof that you would often go up onto, so there'd be a staircase on the outside of the house. Um, this flat roof and made of packed clay over wooden beams. So you, you can kind of see how they can sort of dig out this hole. Uh, and they start, they start digging. They get, they're so desperate. <laughs> you get a picture of real desperation of these guys. And they get their mate to Jesus. He's, they lower him down. He's there on the ground in front of Jesus, looking up at him. And, and, and Jesus sees them. Jesus looks down at this guy who's looking up at him. And he looks up at the four friends on the roof who are looking down at him. And he sees this group and he sees their trust. He sees their faith, their faith in him. And he looks at the man on the mat and he says something that no one is expecting. Uh, Jesus sees this guy facing a lifetime of poverty and shame. And he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And you can kind of imagine the the cogs ticking in everyone's brain and maybe a few puzzled looks on their faces. Uh, actually a bit of shock. It's a pretty shocking thing to say though, isn't it? Uh, everyone there knows why this guy's here. Um, everyone knows what he wants. It's completely obvious that why he's there is to get his legs working again. He knows that's what, that's what he's there to get from Jesus. Here's this poor guy pleading for help, and Jesus starts talking about his sins. Uh, I mean, how insensitive is that? But Jesus is not being insensitive. He's not playing a kind of cruel joke on this guy. We've already, we, we've already seen in Mark's Gospel, through chapter 1, Jesus filled with compassion for people who are suffering in so many different ways. That's Jesus' character, um, this isn't a kind of insensitive, cruel thing that he says. He is willing and he is able to heal people. So what's the deal? <laughs> what's going on? There is something more, much more going on here, much deeper. Um, so it's a pretty shocking thing to say on that level. The guy's obviously there to be healed. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, but... There's another group of people in the room here who are shocked as well. They're shocked for a different reason. They're shocked because of a theological point. They're, they're teachers of the law, they're religious leaders. And they, start, uh, they hear Jesus say this and they start thinking to themselves, how dare you say that? They're joining the dots. Uh, how dare you say that, Jesus? To say that is blasphemy. It's claiming to do something that only God can do. Only God can forgive sins. Um, and, you know, we've got to give these guys a bit of credit, I think. They actually saw something pretty important here. Um, they, they, they got it right in this regard. They knew that sin is something that God can own, only God can forgive. Uh, sin is our deep heart rebellion against God that all of us are born into, and it manifests itself in all these different ways. But at its heart, it, it, it hurts other people around us and ourselves, but ultimately, at, at the end of the day, our sin is our inexcusable, proud rejection of God. And that is something only God can forgive. 
So these religious leaders, they've got the right instincts, but where they go wrong is they, they haven't yet seen who Jesus really is. Uh, but Jesus, he's about to show, them, show that to them in a really major way. Uh, he knows what's going on in their hearts. So he challenges them with this riddle in verse 9. He says to them, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man who's lying there, which is, which is easier to say to him, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? It's a really interesting sort of riddle, isn't it? Uh, so which is easier? What is it? Which is, which is easier to say? Well, of course, I think the answer is it's far easier to say your sins are forgiven. Um, as far as any pretender can say that, and no one would be able to prove it or not. Um, forgiveness of sins can't, you know, it can't be seen right there and then. It's much more dangerous to tell a paralysed man to get up because you've actually got to be able to follow through with your words. You've actually... Uh, got to show that you can do what you say you, you've done there and then. So on, on, on a kind of surface level, I, I think that's, that's the kind of obvious answer. It's easier uh, to say your sins are forgiven um, because there's no kind of repercussion for that. There's no way you can check that. But I think there's actually much more to what Jesus is saying here. Forgiveness might be easy to say, but which of these is easier to achieve, to actually do? Which of these is easier to say and accomplish, to say with reality? Which of these is easier? And uh, I think the religious leaders, as I said, they, they actually get something right here. They get uh, the scandal of what's being said actually, by Jesus, about God's forgiveness. They see the seriousness of sin. They see it's not something to easily pass over, to kind of flippantly claim forgiveness for. They know that actually it's forgiveness of sin that is the harder one, actually. It's forgiveness of sin that is actually impossible for any human person, any, any, any person, human to give. You, another Another person can't give another person forgiveness of their sin. So there's something deeper that Jesus is prodding them with here. Uh, but he's not just giving a riddle. He, he want, he's making a point. He wants them to get something. And that's what you see in verse 10. And it's really a key verse in this section. He says, I want you to know... That's lovely in itself, isn't it? That there's, he's, he's facing this criticism from these guys. Jesus wants them to know something. He wants them to grasp some, who he is. Uh, even though they're kind of being accusing of him and sort of negative towards him, he, he, he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's a key phrase that in Mark's Gospel, a way that Jesus talks about himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're grumbling about me saying this man's sins are forgiven. You're saying it's blasphemy. You're right to say that it's something that only God can claim. You're right to think it's impossible for a man to forgive another man's sins. But this Son of Man 
is also the Son of God. We've seen that in chapter 1. Uh, both truly human and truly God. And so uh, he does this in order to prove that he actually, he actually has the right to do the impossible thing. Uh, to prove that he can do it, uh, he does the thing that on the face of it is more difficult. Um, on the face of it, he, he, he does that thing on that on the face of it is more difficult to say. So he, he, he then, in verse 11, he looks down at the man lying at his feet and says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. We don't know how long this guy's been paralysed for. You get the sense, though, don't you, that it's been a while, maybe from birth, maybe later on in life. Uh, they're so desperate, that, like the desperation of the scene means it's, you know, it's something that um, they're really, really yearning to have fixed. Uh, in all likelihood, his legs are um, shriveled and unusable, but at a word, at a word, Jesus re-knits what's going on in his body, strengthens his legs, and so he gets up. He picks up his mat, and you can just see him str strutting out of the room in front of everyone, you know, maybe doing a little jump on the way out in front of them all. Everyone is blown away. They're astonished by what they've seen. They're astonished by what they've seen. I think they're also astonished by what they've heard, by this claim of Jesus that he's making, that the miracle is kind of... a proof of in a way a, a sign pointing towards this deeper authority of jesus to bring forgiveness of sins they say they praise god and they say we've never seen anything like this well friends what do we make of this scene uh, the big question in this section of mark as you if you hear last week chapters one to eight the big question is who is jesus that's kind of the driving question and uh, and the, the big sort of piece of the puzzle that this passage is giving us is that Jesus is God's king. We saw that last week. Jesus is God's king who's great and mighty and wonderful power is to forgive sins, is to bring the forgiveness of sins. That is, I find myself just sort of glossing over that. I don't know if you do as well. What this passage is claiming is that Jesus forgiving sins is his great, mighty power, more impressive than any of the other miracles he could have done. And I think we're not going to see that. What, what a mighty, incredible, unthinkable thing the forgiveness of sin is. We won't see that unless we see something of the seriousness of sin. Friends, what is your greatest need? If you were crammed in that house, um, what would you be longing for Jesus to do for you? Maybe it's a health condition that dominates your life. Maybe financial security. Maybe a relationship you long for. Jesus is saying here that no, actually, you're in, in, in God's reality, your greatest problem is the reality of your sin. 
and your greatest need is to have your sin forgiven. That is your greatest need. And the wonderful news of this part of Mark's Gospel, the, the kind of big point of this whole section, is that Jesus can do that for you. Jesus has the authority to do that. You need to read the rest of Mark's Gospel to get the full picture of what it meant for Jesus to do that. Uh, it ultimately meant giving his life in our place at the cross, what we remembered when we uh, took part in the Lord's Supper earlier. But that's what's in view here, friends. Um, this is, again, a little bit of imagining. It's not in the text. But imagine if you could interview this paralytic guy today. Um, you kind of, kind of peer into heaven and have a little chat to the paralyzed man. Uh, I, I imagine he would say something like this. It was amazing. I got up and I walked out. I didn't have to beg anymore. I could raise a family. I could live a normal life. But 30 years later, I died. And now I've been with Christ for 2,000 years. And if I had to make a decision, uh, whether I wanted my body healed or my sins forgiven, it would be a no-brainer. I choose forgiveness every time. The good news of God's kingdom is that your greatest need is fully, eternally, completely, wonderfully met by Jesus, your King. Well, more quickly then, we're going to go through this second scene a little quicker than that first one. Uh, it really builds on the first, though. Um, if our king's great power is to bring the forgiveness of sin, then that is going to shape the kind of kingdom he's building. Um, so I think what the second little scene shows us is that this, this, one, this paralyzed man, what's going on here, it's not just an isolated incident. It's not just a one-off thing. It's actually getting right at the heart of Jesus' mission and what he's here to do, of his kingdom. Uh, so you can read it there in verse 13. He, he goes to the lake, he starts teaching, and no surprise, the large crowd gathers there too. Uh, and it seems like he's teaching while he's walking along. Uh, I think that was um, something that they did then. Not a bad idea, I reckon. Um, they're walking around, they're walking along and he's teaching. And he's walking along and then sort of he stops his teaching because he sees in the distance a, uh, this tax collector's booth, probably like a, a toll collection points. Uh, from the Roman Empire that they'd imposed on um, this nation. He sees this tax collector's booth on the side of the road and he sees this guy sitting in it named Levi, who's also known in the Bible as Matthew, ends up writing one of the Gospels. Um, but what Jesus does next would have shocked everyone. You see, tax collectors were a, a totally despised group of people at the time. Uh, they were... Um, Jewish people, but they were in the pay of the Romans, uh, and many people saw them as traitors um, and just not worth relating to at all, actually. Uh, and you can imagine the kind of muttered conversation as Jesus stops his teaching and starts wandering over to Levi. Imagine the sort of whisperings behind him. What's going on? What's going on? Why is Jesus doing this? Why is... And then they hear Jesus say, follow me to Levi, this outcast. 
Uh, and you can hear the people sort of muttering, you can't be serious, Jesus. Are you really sure you want that guy? I mean, if you're trying to get a new movement off the ground, you really need to talk to a PR consultant because the optics of this are terrible. Um, this is just going to turn people away. You really need someone more respectable. If you can manage it, get a celebrity, okay? Um, someone to, give, to boost your credibility. Uh, but you see, as you read on, he doesn't just call Levi... He goes to his house and has a meal with him. And not just with him, but with all the other tax collectors and sinners in the area. They're coming to gather around and he's sitting around a table with all these guys. The teachers of the law have still got their eye on him, though. They're watching him and, again, they're scandalised. Verse 16, they pull his disciples aside and they say, Come on, guys, doesn't, this, doesn't Jesus know what he's doing? Um, this is outrageous. What, why is he eating with this crew? With the despised, with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus' response is really wonderful, actually, and important and crucial. It's really at the heart of so much. He says, you've really got it at back to front. I'm not here to gather an impressive movement of people who have it all together. I'm not here for people who think they are impressive. Uh, he likens himself to a doctor and says, you know, he kind of uses this analogy, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Uh, but, you know, he's not talking physically, he's talking spiritually. That's the point of the first scene with the paralysed man. Um, he's exposing... This deep, this deep sickness, this deep cancer that we all share, and that is our greatest problem, he's exposing the spiritual sickness of our sin. And just like someone who thinks they're well isn't going to go to a doctor, someone who thinks they are spiritually okay won't be able to see what Jesus is on about. He hasn't come to call the righteous. I, I take it that Jesus means they're people who think they're righteous. The self-righteous, people who rely on their own goodness. He's come to call, he's, he's, he's exactly where he should be. He has come to call sinners. Friends, the reality is that that is all of us, everyone. But the thing about this crowd that Jesus is eating with, this crowd of unlikely people, the thing about them in contrast to the teachers of the law was that they knew they were sinners. They knew. They, they couldn't hide behind their self-respectability. They couldn't hide, rely on their own self-righteousness, their achievements. It was plain to themselves and to everyone else that they had nothing to offer. And because they saw this clearer than the teachers of the law, Jesus eats with them. Uh, friends, what Jesus is saying here is the citizenship requirement for God's kingdom. We had a number of people become citizens of Australia. I think there's some who were recently citizens. Is that right? Uh, yeah, Mark and Rebecca, well done. Congratulations. Um, you probably had to go through a whole bunch of hoops and tests and all of that. The citizenship requirement for God's kingdom 
is not that you pass a test. It's not that you can demonstrate your worth or that you'll be able to show that you can contribute something to this exciting movement. It's not that you can impress the king of the kingdom enough that he'll let you in. The citizenship requirement of God's kingdom is that you're a sinner and you know it and you recognize it and you hear Jesus' call to repent, to turn from that and to believe, to turn to him and to trust him and the forgiveness that he alone can give you. You turn from your sin and to your saviour. And the great advantage these outcasts these tax collectors had was that they knew that they were sick and that in Jesus they had the one doctor who could heal them. Friends, what do we make of all of this? Uh, Jesus' great, spectacular power, the power that should, that outshines everything else, the power that should get our hearts on fire is his power to forgive sins and the citizens of his kingdom are those who by God's grace have received that forgiveness so I, I want to finish with a couple of questions for us friends I want to ask you have you been forgiven of your sin Jesus came to call sinners and he is calling you today. And friends, I just want to urge you, please don't, don't put off responding to that call. Uh, it may be that you need more information. You need to sort of keep processing all of this. Please come to the Christianity Explored series. Uh, come along to that and ask questions and um, hear more and sort of toss around what's going on here. Friends, it may be that when you're honest with yourself, you see your own heart is a proud heart, a self-reliant heart, and that you have managed to convince yourself that actually you are healthy, you're righteous, that you don't really need God's forgiveness. If that's you, friends, I, I want to... Um, urge you that you are you're on shaky ground. Um, if you listen to Jesus and trust Him, the fact is that you are a sinner, and unless your sin is dealt with, you are outside of Jesus's kingdom and under His judgment. Please, friends, you can you can recognize that today. You can let down your defences. You can humble yourself, knowing that God's forgiveness is freely offered to you through Jesus. And It may be, actually, that you're ready to receive that for the first time today. Uh, if that's you, today would be a wonderful day. I'm going to pray at the end. And if you join me in that prayer with meaning and reality, then you can know for sure that Jesus has completely wiped away every stain, every spot, every sin. You can know that Jesus is the one who has authority to do that, who has achieved your forgiveness 
at the cross and who holds it out to you. You can sing with us afterwards. By grace, I am redeemed. By grace, I am restored. And now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord. That's for you, friends. If, if you recognize that you have not received Jesus' forgiveness, but maybe you have, what does this passage have for those of us who are Christians, who are a part of Jesus' kingdom? Well, many things, and we've sort of touched on lots along the way. I just want to encourage us as a church with this last question to reflect on, which is this. Do you, do we together share Jesus' priority on the forgiveness of sins? See, what is, we, we've, we've, we've talked a little bit about our deepest need. What is your deepest need? What is the deepest need of our community? What's the deepest need of your neighbours and your friends and your family? According to Jesus, it's not good health. It's not good friendships, relationships, as good as those things are. It's not recognition or success. It's not any of the things that we so often fill our lives with. We can feel them so strongly, and the great danger of them is that they can blind us to our real need. Friends, because the time has come, because the kingdom of God is at hand, the real need of every person is to repent and believe the good news. The real need of every person is forgiveness that comes through hearing and responding to the gospel. So what is the lo most loving thing that we can do for our community? There's lots of good things we could and should be doing. But what is the thing that is at the heart of it all that should energize our prayers and fuel our actions? It is seeing Sinners forgiven and holding out the good news of the kingdom of God. It is calling people to repent and believe this good news. So I'm going to pray that God would give us his heart and that many people would hear his call and be forgiven. I'm going to pray two prayers. That one first and then one if you'd like to join in to receive this forgiveness for yourself. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for this precious word to us. We thank you for the way Jesus um, sort of confronts us, um, but so wonderfully, and that in his love and compassion he has shown us our deepest need. Give us your heart, Lord. We pray that many here and many in our community would hear this good news of the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Father, that the citizens of your kingdom are not those who are impressive, who bring something of themselves, who achieve anything, but just those who receive your forgiveness through the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And Father, for those of us who perhaps recognise that we are outside of the kingdom of Jesus and um, outside of your forgiveness, we pray now. Uh, Father, I acknowledge my sin before you. I know that I can't bring anything to you to offer that will impress you, but I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful good news. 
that in Jesus, I'm offered complete forgiveness. So I hold my hands out today and receive that. Forgive my sin. Make me new. Bring me into your kingdom. So that in 2,000 years I can look back and rejoice that I'm with Christ. In his name, amen.